and welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Chris Marley. It's game week, Connor. Stop it. We don't need a normal intro. It's game week. I think you just broke everyone's headphones, <laughs> speakers, if you're listening in the car. Bro, I apologize. Send the bill to Marley's address. He will cover yes. all of your expenses. <laughs> That's fair. I'm fired up, man. It's finally game week. It took all year. It's finally like I was seeing stuff this weekend. It's like, oh, we should be watching Bama Georgia right now. Whatever. It's finally game week. I'm so pumped. It's about time. I am I'm like still in disbelief that I I can look at the calendar and see Saturday from yep. noon until and realize that from noon until probably what, like eleven o'clock. I'm going to be watching SEC football. Yeah. And for so many times this offseason, that wasn't a certainty. It just wasn't. Yeah. And there was the, the – Especially the with your nap. attitude. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Easy. Now. I mean, let's go back to the night where it was up to the Big 12 if the SEC and ACC were going to have a college football season. That I mean, is... that, that wasn't that long ago. I, I don't want to talk about that night because it's only going to make me mad and I'm only going to go back to the Big Ten stuff but again. But it makes me appreciate yes, now. Yeah. It makes me yeah. appreciate now because we are no longer questioning whether there's going to be a, a season. There are going to be games this Saturday. Later yeah. in the week, we're going to have the full SEC game week preview with predictions, our over-unders, and all of that great gambling stuff from Uncle Chris. So we're going to have more on that as well. We are still going to talk about SEC football and previewing the year as a whole. We are definitely going to do that today. We have things that we're excited to see in 2020. We have the 10 hottest seats in the SEC, and that's not just a head coaches thing. There's only two coaches, two head coaches on my list for that. But we also have an interview with Pro Football Focus's Mike Renner, and we have a little bit of fourth and wrong because it's been yeah, way, way too long for that. But before we get to all of those great things, Marler, I did it again today. I had to finish off the rest of the chili, so I technically didn't have Texas Pete for lunch, and I just why did really you put f- it in the chili? Oh gosh! Damn it, Connor. Well, that's on me. It's always something. Yikes. <laughs> you know, that's a, I, so Allie made an entire crock pot, which is the oldest sounding thing I think I've ever said, um, made a crock pot full of of, uh, of pulled chicken with Texas Pete. Just like oh, just dumps it in the crock pot and is like, let it go to work. So now our whole house smells like cinnamon brooms and Texas Pete, and I've never been happier. Here's the thing. We talked about the Big 12 and the Big 10 for a minute. If there's two words to describe the Big 10, it's D. It starts with a D and a P. Dumb. I'm not going to say the other one. If there's two words to describe the SEC in the offseason, it was O and P. Optimism, patience. If there's two words to describe Uncle Chris going into football season, it's T and P. Texas Pete, bro. I'm, I'm fired up for the season. And you need to fire up that grill and get going for some home gating, tailgating, whatever you want to call it this season. Make sure you are saucing like you mean it. Um, get a little sauced up on Saturday. You know that's one of my favorite traditions. I oh, cannot yeah. wait for the season to start. Uh, tailgating has, I've not waited for that. So make sure you go out to the store. I always say it. Guys, they always say go big or go home. Why don't you just go big while at home? Get yourself a mm. six pack of Texas Pete, start home gating, and, uh, and send us some pics under the hashtag sauce like you mean it. I, I, I tell you what, I joke around a lot on here, but if I see you starting your Saturday without a cold drink in one hand and a bottle of Texas Pete in the other, or at least some food with Texas Pete on it, 
Uncle Chris is going to be pretty mad at you. So make sure that doesn't happen. Sauce like you mean it, guys. Uh, every game day. Here you go. We had our last football game day without SEC football. Mm-hmm. So this means that this is the last time that we're going to be talking about Power 5 teams in action that aren't yeah. the SEC. That's the good news. And I want to just hit on a couple of things that, that happened over the weekend because I know, Uncle Chris, you were gambling and we had, had talked a, had about weekend. picks. We had talked about some of, some of your picks as well. And I'm not going to give you crap for the Georgia Tech thing because I, I, I was wrong yeah. as well to a certain extent on that. And I thought that it'd be, thought it'd be a good close game. Miami and UCF are the two best teams in Florida. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we did see the comment from Dylan Gabriel uh, that he said that UCF is the best team in Florida, which is a rich thing to say after you beat Georgia Tech um, and before Florida plays a football game this year. I, I personally think I think Florida would score 45 against both of them, um, against Miami well, and that's still UCF. less than UCF scored. So, Oh, against both of them. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But um, – um, yeah, yes, what you what like you think that. about watching your uh, your beloved Georgia Tech struggle in the second half? Six turnovers, man. Six turnovers. They went right down the field, scored on the first first drive. It was awesome. It was awesome. I love. I'm so fired up for for Jeff Collins and everything he's doing for that program. Um, and I I know that I sound like a homer, and I'll I'll say that I am because I really really it's it's cool to see like like they talk about him going to that the Waffle House every morning right for breakfast that Waffle House is literally a block from our old apartment i, I used to go there all the time it, it, it just it's cool that it's this sense of home that he's kind of bringing back to atlanta uh, or a, a, a sense of atlanta i guess he's bringing back to georgia tech what bothers me is that freshman quarterback man that kid good god like so many glimpses of of greatness like he's he's a phenomenal athlete looks really good love that running back too they got uh, it was like the number 2 all purpose back in the country um, Collins compared him to, I think, Reggie Bush, which might be a lot. But um, mm. I, I love that. I hate the fact six turnovers, you're going to lose to anybody. I mean, you're yeah. going to lose to absolutely anybody. Um, uh, yeah, I think I got, I got on here and got a little bit ahead of my skis on some stuff because I didn't do my research before. Been like, you know what? I like that. I like Duke. Like Georgia Tech. Mm. Like so-and-so. By the time we got to Saturday and I'd actually done my research, I sent – Tommy O'Rourke, uh, a message, who I'm going to call out right now. And I, I love Tommy to death, um, but I, I got to call him out for this because he was giving me crap for, where the hell did it go? Um, for my picks, because he's like, who do you like today? And I was like, well, honestly, I like a lot. I like probably too much um, on this uh, on this little sheet, I guess, that I got from my bookie. Here's what I told him, Connor. I said, here's my picks for Saturday. UCF money line, first half money line. Louisville money line, Boston College plus six, plus a teaser with Boston College in the under, Louisiana Tech plus five and a half, Louisiana Monroe plus four, the over for the first half of Louisiana Monroe, Notre Dame minus 14 in the first half, Notre Dame minus 23 and a half for the game, Oklahoma State minus 13 first and a half, and UCF team total over 16 and a half in the first half of a game. Connor, I went nine and three, bro. That sounded really good. <laughs> yeah, it was actually really good. Nine and three on the picks. I was fired up. Now, Louisville was a drag. I did not like that. Um, but, yeah, I just, you know, the UCF game, I think that offense looks pretty good. You get a lefty quarterback from Hawaii, it's amazing what you can do in an offense. And, and I think they look pretty good. This is true. Meanwhile, Georgia's, Georgia Tech technically lost the game, but Florida State was probably the – the even bigger loser Damn. of the weekend because to watch UCF turn around and do that to Georgia Tech when that game's in Atlanta, yeah, not the best look. And then, Tell oh, the by sad, the way. Man. You had it right. 
the the stat about the fact that Florida State didn't score in the final 53-16 of that game against Georgia Tech at home. And meanwhile, UCF lit up Georgia Tech like a Christmas yeah. tree a week later in Atlanta. Again, not the best not look. And then uh, Florida State's also got Mike Norvell testing positive for COVID, and he's going to be out for the Miami game. Uh, not not a great weekend when Florida State was off. I'll just say yeah. that. Yeah, I and I want to say one thing real quick too. Um, get on my high horse for a second. It, it, like. I made a joke about Mike Norvell getting getting COVID and wanted to quarantine away from Florida State's team, and people got upset about it on Twitter. I, I just want to give everyone a warning. 2020 has been the worst year of all of our lives for the most part. If we can't joke around about stuff moving forward now that we have football, it's going to be a long year for sensitive people. I, it sucks that he got it. I, obviously, I hope he, he's all right. But, um, yeah, th- that is a terrible look for a program. But the pettiness coming out of Chris, I'll just say – this won't be the first time that he can just say that he wasn't around or he was around a, a group of players and actually wasn't. So there's that. Yikes. I feel Yikes. no I feel no pity for this program or anything that happens to them after after the offseason they've had. No offense. I know I gave you stuff last week for it, but I'm just saying. The Big 12, meanwhile, looks more like a two-horse race than ever. Oh, my goodness, Oklahoma State. If anybody was watching that game early on, you know, like, wait a minute. Oklahoma State's the team with Chuba Hubbard, right? Like, I didn't forget. He didn't go to the NFL or opt out, and I forgot about that. No, 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 no. This was the Oklahoma State team that, yes, has Chuba Hubbard, the leading leading returning rusher in college football, and they had to rally in the fourth quarter to beat Tulsa. So Twice. Twice they had to rally. because they're like, <sighs> So they lost four or five on the offensive line, which I, I'm telling you, that might be my favorite stat of the offseason and, and going into a year because I, that kind of stuff matters, and – no matter if you, I mean, if you have a two thousand yard running back, obviously that's a talented running back. Some of that credit has to go to the offensive line. Like, for, I mean, obviously, I just <laughs> you have an entire off season where, I mean, they have like a show that they have going on about Oklahoma State, and, and you have all these like promising things, and some people have them as like dark horse for the, uh, what do you call it for the the playoff, and then I, you know th- that quarterback Spencer, what's his last name? It's like S S something. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm bl- they went through like three different quarterbacks on Saturday. So that first kid got hurt, and I was like, well, there goes all of the things that I bet on for the first half. However, that backup quarterback they had, the se- the first one that went in, the one whose face barely fit into his helmet, I, mm. like that was the, maybe the worst Division One quarterback I, I've seen in the last five years. He was awful. I, I, I enjoyed watching the freshman come in, but my God, the Big 12 looks bad. Really, really, really bad. Meanwhile, our guy... Sean Elliott, the official Group of Five coach of the SDS podcast, uh, nearly pulled off another opening week stunner, and was I was right there, and I thought it was going to happen, especially after Raging Cajuns took that awful, awful sack, and we were texting back and forth. We're like, "Oh, this is going to happen. Seventeen point dog. They're about to win. How dare you ever bet against Sean Elliott?" I had the tweet in the drafts ready to go. And then overtime happened and whatever, but still. The 21-point lead or 14-point lead, that sucks. Man. Covered. They covered. Yeah. That's all that matters. They covered. That's all, all that matters. matters. Lock of the week is good. good. Yeah, there you good go. I, I will say, actually, you bring this up. You, you take the next point. I don't think the group of five, though, has a path to the playoff with the Big Ten being back. And I, I, we talked to Mike Renner about this, and he has UCF in his playoff. And – my guy Brad Crawford brought this up, and I think it's worth remembering just how much it would take in order for this to actually happen for the group of five to make this push. Because 
starting next week in the AP poll, all these Big Ten teams are going to be ranked again. I, I don't know how they're determining so that, stupid. like why they're letting them back. Whatever. But what we know is that UCF, Cincinnati, Memphis, and Louisiana, those are four teams that are in the 13 to 19 range. They're all going to fall. They're all going to fall as a result of the Big Ten just simply coming back into right. the poll. The other problem, and probably the more significant thing, none of them have a single Power 5 team left on the schedule. Yeah. So you mean to tell me that shortened schedules with less data points is going to result in a historic group of five playoff berth? No, no. I, I think we're going to see, I think we would see a two loss conference champ from the ACC, from the SEC. Um, I don't want to definitively say the Big 12, but I do think that there'd be a chance of seeing that ahead of a, an unbeaten group of five team. And it sucks because I would love to see UCF. Yeah. Or or Cincinnati play against a really good power five defense. But I just kind of looked at that this weekend. I was like, oh, yeah, that that really means that there is. I don't know how that path can possibly exist without the big with, with the Big Ten now coming back. Yeah. And I, I tell you what, man, I, like usually I know we, we like to crap on UCF all the time and, and their fans, all that kind of stuff. Um, I I think that they does. They like. I don't know about their the schedule wise, but every conference besides the Big Ten and the Pac-12 deserves a shot at the playoff more than the Big Ten and Pac-12. Every single conference, because every single conference that forged ahead and didn't listen to this bullcrap—I cannot believe I just said bullcrap. I'm gonna start it over. <laughs> there you go. This <laughs> that just happened from uh, from what do you call it? From the Big Ten, and I'm not gonna get back on that that whole thing because, like I said, it's only gonna make me mad. But you know. These these conferences that that almost were cost an entire season because of them now have to take a backseat to the Big Ten. It's infuriating, and it's going to be infuriating, I think, for me all season. Um, not that I think those teams are better than an Ohio State or Wisconsin or anything like that, but um, I, I think honestly, UCF and Cincy are two teams that could actually push for if there was an eight-team playoff. I, I think they could they could be top ten teams this year. Cincinnati plays defense, man. Cincinnati's like is a very well-rounded well-rounded team with Luke Fickle up there at the helm. Um, I will say UCF left a lot to be desired. I mean, again, six turnovers, man. Like, six turnovers. I, I wonder how that game looks. You gave up, what, they gave up 21 or 28, I guess, to, to Georgia Tech. I, I just I think that they have some some holes. I think Cincy's a, a really good team. What's interesting is you brought up the fact that all these teams are going to fall, and depending on how much stock you want to put into something like ESP and FBI, which is not much, really, because – Talk about this last year. I don't know how they had Bama ranked ahead of LSU like up until two weeks after they had lost to LSU. It made no sense to me. Yeah. The ESPN FPI rankings came out uh, two weeks ago, and they had, they had updated where um, all the SEC teams would be. And I think there were eight teams in the top 24, right? I think Ole Miss made it in the top 24. We put it on Instagram. Um, those rankings were updated now this week after week three happened and adding big teams, big 10 teams back in. And 13 of the 14 SEC teams that were ranked fell. Five of them ranked, five of them dropped by 10 spots. Um, you know who didn't fall? And you know who moved up to number eight? Auburn. UCF. No, Auburn was four last week and dropped to nine. They dropped behind UCF. So I thought that was oh. kind of interesting that you have teams like that. Notre Dame, I believe, was, was behind them as well. Um, but yeah, it's kind of odd. Like, I mean, Auburn was fourth, was fourth, and, and, and they haven't played a game. And dropped down to ninth behind UCF, so that was kind of interesting to me. Um, I, I just I didn't really understand that, but it is it is I think something if 
I mean, I don't know. Has computers like UCF? I know I don't. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. They that has to put a lot of stock in returning quarterback. That's that's yeah. what I think is is it has to be a big big part of that because otherwise, in terms of like returning production, Auburn's not really there. Right. On either side of the ball, really, and I, I just don't necessarily understand kind of some of the logic that that goes into that. But right. yeah, I just I, I question what, how, how in the world a group of five team that doesn't have the, the, like a big power five matchup like Houston beating Oklahoma to start yeah. off the the 2016 season. I just don't think that anything or was that was 2015 maybe I think that was 2015. I think it's 2015. I just will yeah. say that I. I I know that this isn't going to happen, and, and there's too much money at stake and all this kind of stuff, but in my opinion, the Big Ten should 100% be kept out of the playoff this year and does not deserve a chance to play in the playoff. I don't care if Ohio, Ohio State, on paper, is one of the best teams in the country, and, and like before the season started in August, all that kind of stuff, or in July, I was fully okay with them being number one. I think I've even said on this podcast, they they were probably my pick that would have like to win the national title. They were loaded still are the big 10 should be absolutely left out of the college football playoff for how detrimental they have been to this college football season and and now are playing less games i tend to think that they're not necessarily going to punish kids who had absolutely no say don't punish the kids punish punish the commissioner and the presidents and all the other people that were pulling the strings on this for the entire offseason i'm not gonna you know what whatever i'm not gonna get into it not gonna get into it Things that we're excited to see in the SEC yeah. <laughs> in 2020. Marler is excited that there is no Big Ten team on the schedule for any SEC opponent. No, I would love that because they get their brains beat in like they always do. <laughs> do you want to trade off or do you want me to share my three things first? Um, so, but you actually, you, you share yours first. We could, actually, let's trade off. Let's trade off. All right. Final answer? Trade off? Final answer. All right. All right. Let's start with Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo in year three. This year that we thought we were kind of going to have A&M figured out, this should be their best team. Kellen Mond is coming back. They have a lot of production back on the defensive side of the ball. Their offensive line should be better. It should be healthier. Isaiah Spiller, 1,000-yard rusher as a freshman. Here's what I wonder about, though. Has this offseason, has anything this offseason gone A&M's way? Because I I just don't think it has. The switch to the conference-only schedule, brutal, obviously. That didn't go well. But all these opt-outs, we talked last week about the Jamon Ospin opt-out, mm-hmm. and then, oh, by the way, you lose your second leading tackler over the weekend, Anthony Hines. The timing of that, that is That's, terrible. Yeah. That is not ideal for Mike Elko's defense. And I'm excited to see what Fisher does with this because I'm definitely one foot out on him being an elite coach. I've been very clear about that because I tend to think that if you're a good coach, you're gonna see, you should see noticeable improvement in either year two or year three. Like that's your big chance to be able to say, yeah. hey, we are different than what we were in the previous regime. That's how it works in college football. Unless you're in a a very very atypical situation with sanctions and all that stuff. But that wasn't AM. That wasn't AM. Let's not forget that this is a team that had two top six classes these last two years, has recruited exceptionally well. They have retained both coordinators all three years, which they didn't think that they were going to be able to retain Mike Elko a couple years ago, and then they did. Also, Jimbo's got the most experienced quarterback in the SEC. So like, while the opt-outs in the schedule are definitely things that you look at and you say, well, you know, can A&M really be able to – can A&M really be good and compete in this division? But then you look at things like that and you're like, well – 
I mean, yeah, yeah, you should be able to at this point. Theoretically, you should be able to at least hang around, and it's not a good enough excuse anymore. Maybe that's the the point I'm coming to, is are we going to see the excuse train come out for A&M again? Because it was a bit of an excuse thing last year with the schedule. No, Connor, they played four teams in the top five. Almost all of them on the road. They played at Death Valley. At Cl- they played at both Death Valleys and and then played on the road at Georgia. They beat, they smoked. lost to Georgia. But they lost to smoked. Georgia by six points. Didn't get yes. Didn't get smoked by Georgia. You're right. You're right. I'm thinking. I'm, I'm they, more. Hold I'm on, more they lost to Clemson by ten or by fourteen. By fourteen. I'm more frustrated with the lack of offensive development. That's the biggest thing because when you when Jimbo Fisher comes in and Jimbo Fisher's making seventy five million dollars. Sooner or later, that offense has to look good. And last year, they went from 19th in the country to 62nd in the country. Mm-hmm. And I realized, again, the schedule is is difficult. It really is. But I'm I'm looking forward to, are we, in yeah. year three of this, are we going to see this progression where we're like, oh, yeah, Jimbo Fisher, we were once thinking of him as a top three coach in college football. This feels like the year that we're really going to have some clarity on that discussion. So I think those arguments are, it's odd to... I, like I've, I've never thought Jimbo Fisher was a top three coach in college football, so I don't I don't know how to argue that. But like, yeah, the schedule is more difficult. They've had a lot of op- opt outs, but dude, like that schedule they had last year is one of the hardest schedules in the history of college football. Like, there's just no other way to put it. Like, you had Bama on the schedule, and that was probably like when you look at, at the end of the season, the easiest game they had out of going to place the the maybe the best team in college football history in Death Valley, and they did get smoked in that game. That Georgia game, there were several times they could have won that game. Like, several times. If George Pickens didn't absolutely, like, demolish some kid and not have, pass, like, offensive pass interference called. I mean, I, I just, I think that if, if they end that, that game, I said this two, two seasons ago, you know, people were way too high on A&M at the end of the year because of the LSU win. That LSU win mm-hmm. in seven overtimes they should have never had is why people put up so much hype the following season. And they should have never had that. If they had... Again, reasonable expectations for a team going into that season that I think the, t- the conversation about, about A&M being excited this year is a totally different story. Like, th- like people are over A&M because they think that, oh, they say it every year. They don't say it every year. They, like, they go undefeated until November. They did that every single year under Kevin Sumlin, but they don't say that about them every year. They had a bunch of expectations last year, and they shouldn't have had them because that schedule, and I know you hate the preseason, the preseason rankings and all that kind of stuff, that schedule is ridiculous, and and there was like the ceiling for any team facing that would have been yeah. low. I mean, any no team, no, no like no. like you know, like Florida was a really good. We talked about how great Florida was last year. They because they won eleven games. They they lost to LSU. They lost to Georgia. Would have loved to see Florida play Clemson. That's a loss. If I, if, if Alabama played Florida last year, that's a loss. Now you're talking about an eight and four team instead of ten and two. And you know what? They're not as great as we thought. Like that. That's it's so easy when you look at like. Where all like any team that had to face that kind of schedule would have would have looked bad, and so I just think that to crucify them for for or Jimbo in year two, like if, if we're gonna be upset about him, he should have never really taken this job and stayed in Florida State because there is a ceiling over any team in 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 the SEC West right now that's not named Alabama and LSU. It's my, it's hard to win. My my only counterpoint to that would be I, I would argue that LSU actually had a ended up having a more battle tested schedule with what they did, and that was Joe Brady stepping in from the Saints, a 29-year-old guy stepping in and fixing that offense, which needed modernization as well. And I guess what I'm saying is, is not necessarily that, that Jimbo Fisher should have been Joe Brady immediately from a and yeah, should have made them. Players drafted. Yeah, I, I understand that. I understand that. What I'm saying is that if, if you get three years 
All right, you get yeah. three years, and you're supposed to be considered one of the best offensive minds in the sport. Sooner or later, we have to stop talking about the schedule, right? Sooner or later, we have to get to this point where it's like, okay, you you, you have you have these things that are working in your favor, and pretty soon it's about lack of development. And that's what yeah. I, I'm not saying that that he that I'm I'm not accusing him of being like you can't develop talent at all, blah blah blah. Like, dude won a national title year four at Florida State. He developed talent. Mm-hmm. That is what he did. But this is such a pivotal year, I think, for the conversation around Jimbo Fisher because I think. Yes, while the schedule kind of fueled a little bit too much of that optimism early on, and then maybe it kind of took took a back seat when the schedule changed and the opt outs and all this right. stuff has happened. But at the same time, when you look at the the, the retain the retention of a starting quarterback who has had some success in this league, and you look at those recruiting classes, and you look at the resources, and you look at all those things, you're like, all right, you're three. What are you going to be? What are you going to be? Yeah, I, I get that. But I, what I'm saying is. And we've been high on Florida. We talk about how great Dan Mullen is. Dan Mullen hasn't faced that schedule. Every time Dan Mullen has faced a schedule like that, he's looked awful. Like Dan Mullen's never beaten Alabama. Dan Mullen's never beaten Georgia. Fair. Like, so if if I, I I know you hate looking at the schedules, like, well, you shouldn't rank them based off schedule. If you're ranking a team based on where you think they're going to end, you absolutely should have A and M ranked higher at that point than now because. Yeah, bottom line, like they had an easier route to, to get there. I, like I, I think that we can't make the argument for, man, how great is this team? They've had two 10-win seasons for one team. It's like, who the hell did Florida play in the off, like in, in out-of-conference schedule last year? They played Miami and looked like shit. And then like they, they played play Florida State as well. And yeah. Florida State, and they're garbage. And so it's like, you yeah. know, I, I don't – like for, and Florida's notorious also. And I'm not trying – this is not it's like trying to turn it into like a bashing Florida or anything like that. But I'm just saying we – like – you look at how how easily the narrative changes from one school to another of like, man, Dan Mullen, and we have been right there at the forefront of that, being like, he deserves more credit for, for those 10-win seasons. But let's also give credit to the fact that, yeah, like that schedule is a lot easier and a lot lighter. Like every time he's had to face someone that, you know, that he beat LSU at home because of the pick six, you know, in, in the swamp in year one. Every other time he's had a, a, a big, big game, have they won? No, it's been like, well, they looked they looked pretty good against LSU, gave him a close game. You know, he looked pretty good against Florida, gave or I mean against Georgia, gave him a close game. I just I think that if it, I mean Dan it, like you could usually like hypotheticals are the worst where they argue something. It's like, well, if Dan Mullen was in the SEC West. We've seen what Dan Mullen was in the SEC West. I mean, without Dak Prescott, he he doesn't have a job right now. We saw him. In, we saw him in Mississippi State, though. Like it's 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 different when we're talking about. What is about- different with A and M? Jimbo Fisher getting $75 million to take over a program like AM is a little bit different than Dan Mullen taking over at Mississippi State. Why? Because of the, because of the resources. It's the, same, it's the same schedule, right? Like, what, what, is, what did Dan Mullen do against the SC West? We've, we've talked about, right. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying that, that, but we're talking about different, we're talking about a different set of circumstances here with AM as opposed to Mississippi State, where nobody would look at the situation at, at AM and think, oh, yeah, that was, they were in the same exact position that, right. that, Mississippi State was in after Sylvester Croom was fired, uh, having what, what did they win like a, a game in, in the SEC that year? Where yeah, like Jimbo I, Fisher entered a very different situation. Sure, sure. He entered. He got to go to Texas A and M, which in this conference, outside of the year Johnny Manziel had, what what have they done? Like they, like Kevin Sumlin did not do much. I mean, they, they have a lot of money at the program. I, I'm that's, just saying, that's like, my point, yeah. either way, like, like that's fine. Like, he entered a tough thing, and if we want to give Dan Mullen a, a medal of honor for doing his best against good teams and getting zero wins against Alabama, we can do that, but it's like, 
it's the same thing. Like, he, he's looked like he, Dan Mullen against ranked teams before going to Florida was awful. Like, I mean, so, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was playing in the SC West. I just think we're, we're making, we're giving an excuse to some, like, coaches, and we're not giving it. I mean, not that Jimbo needs an excuse or anything like that. I'm just saying, I, I think that A&M has a, 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 had a tougher start in his first few years than even Dan Mullen did at Mississippi State. Fair this is supposed to be what we're looking forward to, and now we got into a fight. This is unbelievable. <laughs> what are you looking forward to? <laughs> Fighting with you all season. Um, no, so for me, this goes back to game day being – I'm pissed that game day is going to Miami, Florida State. That's like such – that just does feels really, like the most – Does it really matter this year, though? Does it? No, it doesn't. I just – like, I'm disappointed because it's like, man, the SEC is starting, man. Like, the SEC is starting P- – Peter Burns said it best this week like on Twitter. He was like – you can tell the SEC hasn't started because my entire timeline is filled in with, like, how good is Miami? So I'm, I'm disappointed because what I'm looking forward to most is, is hinged off the back of this, and that is Kentucky football getting the respect they actually deserve. And I think they're going to do that this year. I, I really do. I think it starts on, on Saturday, and we're going to give our predictions for the game on, 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 thir- on, on Thursday's podcast. But I'll tell you right now, this may be the green tea talking. I got Kentucky beating Auburn, and I got Kentucky – like, re- I'm really excited for Kentucky football this year, and I-, I think it starts on Saturday. I wish the game day would have gone there. Um, that's that's my first thing I'm excited for this year is some of the programs in the SEC getting more of the respect they deserve, and and I think Kentucky is one of them. I'll play off that because one of the things that I'm excited about is the bounce-back year five quarterbacks, one of which being Terry Wilson, the other being mm-hmm. Felipe Franks. Get to him in a minute. I think now, actually, it's at the point where that Kentucky-Auburn game, there's more people on. There's def, It definitely feels like there's more people on Kentucky than Auburn. But I'm. Uh, but then again, maybe there's not because that line hasn't oh. moved that drastically as well. Down to seven. Yeah, which yeah. I, I think if there were more people on Kentucky, that line would be even lower. But um, anyways. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Terry Wilson. Yeah. I, I just I, yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to see him in 2019. Our favorite neighbor was that guy who you thought could take the next step. And with the offense that Eddie Grant is running, they were going to be different in what they were going to do downfield from the passing game standpoint. They were going to give him more of those opportunities. We didn't get to see that. And, and it was a bummer. Kentucky did a really good job changing its offensive identity. This year, their offensive identity is still going to be based on that run game. But we're going to actually see Terry Wilson run. Like I think people yeah. tend to forget that he had over 500 rushing yards when he wasn't really healthy for seven games and he had the knee issue for seven games in the middle of that 2018 season when he was 12 or when he's 10 and three as a starter, and has you know he's now 12 and three technically as, as a starter for Kentucky. But I'm just looking forward to getting to see that kid play again because that's somebody who's so loved in that locker room. And yeah. you kind of see it with, like, you know, I think, like, Limbo and, like, War's number last year in that mm-hmm. first game after he got injured. And, you know, people have been we've been talking a lot about, you know, Joey Gatewood and the waiver stuff and when he's going to be able to find out through all of that. And I'm like, to, to be 100% honest, as, as excited as I am to see what the future holds for Joey Gatewood because he's very, very intriguing, yeah. especially Top if you can get the accuracy. Overall, coming out of college. Yeah. But I, I've been saying all along, like, Terry Wilson's the guy at Kentucky if Joey Gatewood plays or not. It's not like yeah. there's all of a sudden going to be like, oh, yeah, no, the guy who led our best season ever in 2018, or not ever, but in four decades, like, yeah. oh, yeah, we're just not going to have you start. Like, no, no, they were always going to start him as long as he was healthy. So You could I'm say like, ever. You could say ever. I don't want to say. When they played football and they were like, uh, hey, when you do your drop back, make sure you're doing it only on your heels. 
Bear Bryant days. That's also true. And then Felipe. You know, I I've made the comp before. I'll make it again. I think he's the the 2020 SEC version of James Winston. I really do. I think that the highs, some of the the throws. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be electric because he's going to make some throws that I've been telling Arkansas fans this on Arkansas Radio. He's going to make some throws that are like you haven't seen since Ryan Mallett. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a yes. These throws downfield that you're just like, there are only a few human beings in all of college football that can do that. That can just down the field on a dime, and you're just like, whoa, where does that come from? And then, like, maybe the next series, he throws to three (laughs) defenders when his receiver is running a completely different route, and you're like, oh, my gosh, Felipe. But the roller coaster is going to be great if you're not an Arkansas fan. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun TV. As long as he doesn't come out and do some dumb blank, like when when Jameis did that thing, like, how many of you want to eat a W today? That, that was one of the No, no, he needs to do seen. that. That'll, that'll no. really sell the comp, yes. No one needs that, but yeah, that'll be good for your comp. <laughs> okay, so, um, you know, th- speaking on the Terry Wilson thing, one, one quick thing about that is not enough is made out of just the tragedy of that, of like the lows for his career. Like, like that kid was going to Oregon, like in that offense and what we, what we know about Oregon. And he was Willie higher Taggart rated was the coach. than Justin... Higher rated than Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert was just right. a local kid from Eugene. And exactly. then they, he, like, he gets on campus, and Terry Wilson looks at him, and he's like, oh, crap. This is a yeah. good. <laughs> well, also, Willie Taggart was the head coach, so everybody was like, oh, crap. Like, like, like that's a terrible, terrible situation to be in. Yeah, just for the so, year, but. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I, I'm excited to see Terry Wilson. I, I really am. Um, you talked about, like, the bounce back. Oh, and real quick, I have it written down before I forget. Coming Thursday, I haven't run this by yet, but I'm going to do it. Oh, boy. Whether you like it or not. The all-neighbor name team. I'm here for that. We already know yeah. the two captains of the team. That's that's obvious. Who was the second guy? Because I know I forgot oh, his name. Larry Roundtree. Larry Roundtree. Larry, come on now. Terry um, and Larry are, are heading our Terry. all-neighbor team. <laughs> I got to find a Gary in, in there, and he's the wild card. He's the, he's the wacky one of the group that probably wears socks with sandals when he goes to Chili's. All right, so we're going to have that coming Thursday. Now, we talk about the bounce back. I'm excited for the bounce back for several several programs and players like like players yeah can't wait to see dylan moses hope that kid has a healthy year mm-hmm. uh, obviously terry wilson is, is another one helinski if he's not gonna be the starter but would like to yeah. see him you know be healthy and all that kind of stuff um i mean there's a lot of players there's a lot of players uh, and, I, and i'm sure i'm forgetting several but um looking forward to that the other part of it bounce back teams and programs like i i still for whatever reason i'm i'm really high on Carolina and Arkansas being better than people are giving them credit for. I, I don't think you're going to see, like, like last year, man, some of those, some teams in the SEC were bad. Like, I mean, bad. And Arkansas and South Carolina were definitely two people lead, or teams leading the way with that. I really don't see outside of Vanderbilt teams being that bad this season. You know what I mean? Just, like, bad. And I could be yeah. wrong because like, football, football's been pretty sloppy so far with, like, uh, with the restart and how things have not looked, you know, as crisp without a, a, a traditional year. But I, I'm really looking forward to Arkansas, South Carolina, and Tennessee, I think, being programs that kind of get back. And Ole Miss being another one. They kind of get back to being in – not in contention for, like, titles as much, but, like, this year, but uh, but being better football teams than we saw. Like, I mean, like, Ole Miss the past couple of seasons have been a joke because, you know, a couple of years ago they had one of the best offenses in the country, had talent all over the field with Jordan Ta'omu. But also the defense was garbage. I mean, just just awful. And so I, I think that having stuff like that with Lane Kiffin, um, you know, Mike Bobo going to, to USC, having like just a little bit more 
I guess, stability, even though there's so much newness. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. What, not to be the, the wet blanket here. Oh, God. But not, to, not to be that guy. I promise I'm not trying to be that guy. But something to keep in mind throughout this year that I wonder about with those bounce-back teams. A yeah. team like uh, South Carolina or an Ole Miss, who last couple years, yeah. disappointing, frustrating. Mizzou, another one of those teams. Is there going to be that point in the year where if they start off two and four and they go into the bye week or something like that, I'm just saying hypothetically, and they get guys who opt out, they get guys who are like, you know what, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not down with this season, this, yeah. this COVID season where we're not playing in front of packed houses and being a college athlete is just different than it's ever been. I've brought this up before, but I do think that that can be a factor because it's not quite what we talked about with Mizzou last year with like the, how are they going to stay motivated when they don't have a bowl to play for, which, yeah. you know, as we saw in the second half of Mizzou season, I don't know how much that contributed, but it didn't look like a particularly motivated squad, especially on the offensive side of the ball when they started to get some injuries. But can that be a factor that hurts some of these teams from taking that step and being yeah. like, oh, you know, an Ole Miss or South Carolina that's better than what we originally thought, but maybe they're not going to show it by the end of the season right. because they're having some of this roster depth issues. Well, I guess no, I'm no longer excited about that at all. So that's, my bad, uh, sorry. No, so mean. here's the, here's the thing though. But piggybacking off that, my next thing that I'm excited for is Week One Hunger Games. Like Hunger Games for the SEC starts Week One. Okay. We've seen it everything this year. Exotic tigers, murder hornets. There's like eight hurricanes happening right now. All yep. of them named after Waffle House waitresses, which is weird. Um, week one in the SEC is, is Hunger Games right off the bat, and that is South Carolina, Tennessee. Like, I'm, I'm excited for Kentucky-Auburn. I'm excited to watch Bama again. I can already tell you, though, right now, as somebody that's been a lifelong Bama fan and, and has nightmares, like, legitimately, like, we used to have, like, Bad dreams. I was like, oh, God, I woke up, and Bam was in the third quarter. I missed the whole first half of the game. I am going to voluntarily turn the Alabama game off probably like at, in the third quarter so I can fully pay attention to Tennessee-South Carolina. Tennessee-South Carolina, people aren't talking about it as much. I think that like that game is going to dictate the, the, the entire season for, both, for one of those teams. The team that loses, is it, like you talk about the 2-4 and four start, you yeah. look at South Carolina's the start to their schedule, and, and Tennessee's – is not as bad, but but South Carolina started really bad. If you, if they lose that game and they're a three point underdog, things could go south real quick. And I don't think people are giving them uh, at, like any kind of hope to win for some reason because all we've heard the entire offseason is how good Tennessee will be. I think whoever wins that game, it's gonna it's gonna like help tremendously the rest of the year. Whoever loses that game, I think it will open the door for what you said in terms of people opting out. Um, people like you know a team maybe kind of like losing hope. Um, yeah, South Carolina loses that game, man. Like we talked about how people should should maybe like be under a, like a kind of a shelter from getting getting uh, fired this season. Bushnell will be gone by week eight. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, more, more thoughts on that in a yeah. minute. Uh, hopefully, nobody pulls an Austin P who they they quit after. So they flat out quit three. the season, right? Yeah, they they lost to Cincinnati <laughs> and they're like, peace, we're done. They said we'll see that's, you in the spring. All. They just tweeted it out. I was like, nah, that ain't me, dude. That ain't me. That's like I remember. I remember one time, like, like when I was like real little, all the dads raced all the kids, and my dad was actually there, which is cool. Uh, all like like in like a race or something, right? And I remember this, this one dude named D. 
his dad's this big, big black guy, and he took like three steps and pulled a hammy. He was like, "I'll see y'all. I'll see y'all at the end of the year." <laughs> just like just bounced. <laughs> um, that's what it reminded me of. This was uh, wow. That's he could do anything in twenty twenty. There are no rules whatsoever. If any SEC team wants to quit in the middle of the season, I think they're allowed to because they could just opt out and save all their eligibility. Looking at you, Vandy. Yeah. Um, other thing, last thing I'm looking forward to, Georgia's offense. Just want to yeah. see it. Want to see what happens with it. I don't think that it's necessarily going to be uh, firing on all cylinders from the jump. I think there yeah. are going to be some really good moments. I think there are going to be some moments when you're reminded of just how much turnover there is on that side of the ball. And this is still a pretty new thing. And I just want to see what it looks like from a schematic standpoint. Are we seeing these instances where George Pickens is getting so much space schemed open to him yeah. and he's able to make like three or four catches in a row and you're like, oh yeah, this is way different than what we're used to seeing from Attacking Georgia. Isn't it crazy to think about Georgia in the playoff era, which is post-Aaron Murray, because Aaron Murray is last year was yeah. 2013. Georgia hasn't had a passing offense that ranked in the top half of FBS. That's amazing. That's bad. That is, bad. like... And, and all the talent they've had a receiver. I know, that's... <laughs> but that see, like, all the talent they've had a receiver always seems to be a guy that ends up... Like, Miko Hardman was an incredible talent at Georgia. Miko Harmon is is flourishing in the NFL. But he had Jake Fromm throwing the ball. That, Flourishing's, yes. He's doing all right. Ta- I think he's doing more than all right, but whatever. Um, I mean, in an he's like, he's a, he's what? He's definitely the number two in that offense behind Tyree Kill. No, I mean, Travis Kelsey, and he wasn't starting over Sammy That's Watkins. Fair. He's been taking the well, backseat to, to Sammy Watkins. but um, Whatever, Connor. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. If, if Kansas City didn't have to play the A&M schedule, it would be totally different, so it doesn't matter. Um, so here's the thing. I, I, I'm looking forward to that, too. Did you see the catch uh, Pickens made this weekend that was going around Twitter? Oh, I didn't see that, no. It was it was impressive. It was Georgia's just looking scarier and scarier to me. I just, I'll yeah. say it. Um, what I'm looking forward to, the last thing I'm looking forward to most out of the season is just a single tear cascading down my cheek. Oh, probably gosh. multiple. Uh, once football returns, I, there are so many moments that I've like built in my head, and I, I am definitely a softy when it comes to Tom Rinaldi moments and all that kind of stuff. But I'm I just I'm so excited to happy cry on Saturday when SEC football's back, and I don't care that sounds. But there's like specific things like you know the first sad Tom Rinaldi story that comes out. Um, you know, one thing that I'm really looking forward to, and I hope this happens because I've built it up in my head a lot, Kylan Hill running out of the tunnel with a new state of Mississippi flag. Not yep. trying to be political. That's a huge thing. It's awesome to see the impact these athletes can have. Um, and I think that would just be an incredible moment for a lot of people. Probably also not an incredible moment for some people, but I don't want to be friends with them anyway. Um, I, so I, I, stuff like that. And the last thing, Connor, let me just let me take off my backwards Nike dry fit hat and put on my fan hat here for a second. Oh, you've had your fan hat off. Oh, yeah. The order being... Bro, I just spit so many facts to you about that A&M thing. I don't even want to hear it. Um, order being restored. Order being restored to the SEC. Last year, we had to hear about Joe Brady and Joe Burrow and all these things. Go, Joe. All the, did you see his mom last night on 60, 60 Minutes? That food looked good. Coco is a hero. I, I got to meet her. That was incredible. Um, but, you know, will order be restored in, in this season? 
or will somebody like Georgia finally take the next step? I don't know. I'm just excited for – it's been a long offseason of hearing people like Dallas Johns from the Facebook group talking about Bama missing field goals and all those things. And, you know, on, on Saturday, Connor, I always, I always say this when, when teams that are lesser than talk trash – they're going to have to tee up that football, and they're going to blow that damn whistle, and they're going to play a game. And I just, I cannot wait for, I don't care if it's 20,000 people or 100,000 people, but just Thunderstruck playing and, and those, those silver doors parting and Nick Saban and just an absolute effing battalion of five stars walking into Bryant-Denny Stadium and absolutely whooping somebody. they got to wait a couple weeks. So they're going to. I was going to say they're going to Mizzou first. <laughs> so in front of 17 people coming out of whatever kind of wooden ply doors they have at those locker rooms. I can't wait. The worst prediction you've made on this podcast is that you will have a single tier watching it's college gonna be game day. So many tears. A lot of tears. Lot I can't wait, tears. man. I'm just, I just, it's been like, it's my favorite thing in the world. I know I always say it. I'm a broken record at this point, but it, we've, we've had to go through so much this year and it just it's been it's been awesome you know i just realized the other day we were talking about something on the schedule like in a couple weeks supposed to be like my second wedding for, for, for this year i'm just glad something is going right for all of us and i and i it's going to be a great great year not to make it too personal or anything like that yeah <laughs> my second wedding um all right that was too much positivity let's bring it let's bring everybody back down yeah the 10 hottest seats in the SEC, and I'm not just talking about head coaches. If I actually put 10 SEC head coaches on the hot seat, I yeah. would be someone who hates college football, which there are a lot of people in this business sure. who might be guilty of that. Um, okay. This is about who is in a noteworthy position, mm-hmm. who is in probably serious jeopardy of losing their job. And not necessarily just performance-based, but based on the circumstances around them. Now, what's the notable position, you ask? A head coach, a coordinator, or a starting quarterback? Obviously, running backs can lose jobs. Starting receivers can lose jobs. A lot of that is performance-based. Yeah, I I understand. Like, if Jerry and Ely fumbles eight times in the season opener, Snoop Conner's going to get more is going to get more carries. Like, that's going to happen. I understand that. that. But this is based on the circumstances that we already know and what could potentially happen in order for them to lose their job. So, Marler, are you ready for this list? Yeah, I'm not going to give you mine because I've already talked too much in this podcast, so you go ahead. Oh, no, I don't think you've talked too much. That's, no. I do. So no. just, either way, go ahead. All right. I think that Queso said that. All right. <laughs> Number 10. Let's, let's just get real right away. Todd Grantham, Florida defensive coordinator. Ooh. Number 9, Colin Hill. The South Carolina quarterback, like the that. newly named starting quarterback for uh-huh. South Carolina. Number eight, the Chad, Chad Morris, the new Auburn offensive coordinator who had a cup of coffee at Arkansas, I heard. Number seven, Daryl Dickey, the Texas A&M offensive coordinator. Not necessarily a popular guy for that yep. list, but worthy. Number six, I'm conceding one to you here. And knowing knowing like our luck... Lane Kiffin has probably already come out and named John Rice Plumley the starting quarterback as we're recording this. But number six on this list is Matt Corral, the Ole Miss starting quarterback. About time. I'm conceding that he is going to win the starting job. Number five, Derek Mason. Number four, Mac Jones. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute um, as like why he's so high on this, even though I've. Definitely gone to bat for Mac Jones before. But uh, there's obviously a couple of reasons why he's yeah. on Number three, Will Muschamp. Number two, your boy, third best quarterback in the SEC, 
Jared Garantano, the Tennessee quarterback. And number one, a man that you and Alabama fans have talked about many a time, many a time, Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator. Right. What is I, you gave I me want a to be look. clear that I I talk about Pete Golding differently than most Bama fans because I like him. Fair, fair. Yeah. Okay, perfectly fair. So when you look at this list, what stands out to you? Uh, the fact that you don't have Will Muschamp at number one through five is crazy to me. Uh, like that'd be excessive. He, he is. That would be excessive. He is on the hottest seat of all time. What also stands out to me is that no Gus Malzahn. I know. Like I know. This is this is like one of those things where it's like. You're just waiting to be called out for, for, like, I don't know, detention. He's getting to go home early. Look at him. Like he, I mean, good for him. Gus first. Gus has a $21 million buyout in a pandemic year. Oh, no, I know why they're not going to do it while he's not on the list. It makes sense. I'm just saying it's got to be a relief for him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, and so, like, I put, I put Chad Morris on the list because, obviously, I have skepticism about him yeah. actually running a competent offense. But... We've actually seen Gus kind of do these 180s when it mm-hmm. comes to who's running the offense, who's going to be the coordinator, what's his quarterback going to look like. He went in a 180 just to bring in somebody like Jared Stidham. I mean, something yeah. that was totally different than than his background. And we've seen him be willing to pull the plug and go in a different direction mm-hmm. at points. And I wonder if he'd be willing to do that if it was a bad year offensively. If Bo Nix just didn't yeah. develop and it was a rough year, I think Chad Morris would absolutely be gone in that high-profile position. So, must champ. The buyout stuff... I keep coming back to <laughs> Dude, I don't. It's $13.2 million That's last nothing. I checked. It's 2020. It is like, it, like, exactly, it's, though. It's 2020. That's the but problem. But see, here's the thing. Here's the thing with, with that logic being flawed for this specific situation. South Carolina fans are so over this kid, this, this guy being the head coach and being behind Clemson, being... Yep. Behind all of your other rivals, it, like it, like you know, there's there's some some programs. It's like God, like I, they, they we just lost, we barely lost this team. Like, but think about this: any other program, any other program in the world, beating the number three team in the country on the road would have been a program defining moment. Would have been something you look at for years to come as just this incredible memory and all that kind of stuff. It is so lost in the abyss of mediocrity that has been South Carolina football over the past several years that it, it's like, who, who cares? Like, I mean, like, whatever. Like, it, I mean, you still went four and eight. You know what I mean? Um, I, I just, I have to think that that he's going to get fired if he has a very bad year because they are not just a little bit behind. They're getting rocked by, by Florida, Georgia outside of last year, and Clemson especially. I wonder, though, we, we know that Ray Tanner is going to bat for Will Muschamp. Like, that, that's part of the issue. God, Ray makes a great potato salad, by the way. Go he ahead. does. He really does. Can't forget about Ray, Larry, and Terry. Um, it's, it is still so, so much money in a year in which what's, what's the, the reasonable, hey, you've risen above expectations record mm-hmm. for South Carolina? Is it 4-6? and six? Is it 5-5? Five and five? I know it you're is, higher it should on be South four Carolina. And six. It, like, if they get four wins, it should be like put up a damn banner in the stadium. Right. So that, that's that's my thing is that I don't necessarily like making decisions like that that can impact you know 
yeah. next five, ten years of your program when, like, in a year like this, when if you already thought that he wasn't the guy, he should have already been fired. And I'm of the belief that if Will Muschamp's buyout was a penny and not $18 million last year, yeah, I think he would have been gone. I do. I really Dude, do. I, I, I think you're handling this, as I always say, Connor, in a, the wrong way. You're being logical <laughs> and reasonable. Because here's the thing, dude. Like, it's like, like okay, like, let, me try to, let me try to do this differently, okay? Imagine you, as a fan, were watching your team. Oh, I get average. it. No, yep. Hold on, hold on. And the St. Louis Cardinals, it, like th- that every single year, every single year you played them, you were getting, like, you're just run ruled, or, you know, I don't know how to do it in professional baseball. Actually, I don't even know how the rules are now, but, like, regardless, like, you lose every single time you play them. And on top of that, they're in the World Series every single year. You'd be tired of that, right? It'd be awful. It'd be awful no to watch. So it's like, it's not, it, like, people in South Carolina, South Carolina has like a million less people in that whole state than the the metro Atlanta like population does by itself. Think about that. Like and all they have for like for football wise is they don't have a professional team. It's South Carolina and Clemson. I just don't you yawn when I'm talking about this Connor. This is important stuff. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. My bad. <laughs> so, I'm just saying I really feel like when you have to watch your in-state rival do what they're doing, that's one of the reasons why Gus Malzahn is constantly on the hot seat is because people are tired of watching what Saban's doing, even though Malzahn's been pretty good against him. I, I just think that if South Carolina fans, if they go, let's see, if, if they go like four and six or three and seven, if, if they somehow go two and eight and, and they have to watch Clemson win a national championship or play for another national championship, it's not going to go over well with that fan base. It won't. And if I was a South Carolina fan, yeah, I would want one must champ gone too. I, I really yeah. would. And I, I totally understand where they're coming from. I think the dynamics and understanding Ray Tanner wanting Will Muschamp to work, convincing himself that Will Muschamp can work, and having that looming buyout is still such a, a big deal. Yeah. And it's something that in professional sports that obviously isn't part of the equation in the same sort of way. Yeah, I mean... I don't like splitting hairs over a game or two in a pandemic year when let's think about yeah. how easy it's going to be to swing some of these results if you're facing uh, a Bro, team like Ole Miss or something logical. like that. No, I, I'm just, I bring up these points because I know yeah. how the narrative is going to go with Muschamp mm-hmm. if he gets off to this start. And if he gets off to this one and four start, every South Carolina fan in that state is going to be like, hey, it, it is 100% time to move on. And, and I get it. I think South Carolina fans are in college football hell. And I think they're yeah. in that spot because their athletic director made a decision because he was desperate to see his higher work. And now this fan base is having to continue to live with it. And I don't know their exact financial situation. I'm not going to pretend to. But in a year in which we're talking about budget cuts across the board and even Davos taking a $100,000 pay cut, there are, there are tough decisions that are going to have to be made as a result of that. And I don't necessarily know definitively that he's going to get fired if he doesn't yeah. win four games. But that's just something that you have to factor mm-hmm. into this whole thing. That's fair. All right. All right who else is on this stupid list? So, Mac at four. <laughs> I love Mac Jones. Like, I, I actually you don't. Do. No, don't I say do. That to I drafted me. him on my fantasy team. He's good. He's that good. That doesn't matter. <laughs> but, like, it's still... It's still an Alabama program that uh-huh. I almost go back to. I go back to the Hurts Tua thing a little bit. Like, think about that. Think about Jalen Hurts being a year removed from SEC Offensive Player of the Year, right? Yeah. And you have everything on the line in this national championship game. And at halftime, 
Saban was willing to say, you had a bad first half. We clearly see the limitations. We're going with Tua. And it was Tua after that. And it was based on the fact that Tua progressed throughout the regular season. The fact that he got reps definitely helped. No doubt about it. But, like, I think that Saban will make that bold decision if that time comes. Because I think that Sarkeesian, if he sees that and if he feels that his offense is at all limited, and I'm not saying that it definitively will be, but we know at Bama it doesn't take that much. And when you lose a game, you're under a different sort of microscope than anywhere else in the country. Mm-hmm. I think that that conversation would come up in a much different way than it would for any other program. And while I do think Mac Jones is going to have a lot of success... I think that Bryce Young, as long as he is healthy, is going to be the guy that continues to threaten and the guy that continues to intrigue people. And at sooner or later, they're going to say, all right, let's just let the kids spin it. Yeah, I, t- I tell you what, it, it really, more than anything, it opens the door. Um, it opens the door for that argument even more so now when, when you have, uh, like, like, well, you know, if something goes wrong with Mac Jones, like, well, I mean, we did it last time with Tua. Like, who, I mean, why, why not? So yeah. I, I definitely agree with you on that point. Um, I, I will say, I, I just think people are, are just way low on <laughs> on, on Mac Jones. Like, I, I think I think Bryce Young Bryce Young would be great. I, I really do. I just think that, like, what the, the type of limited um, ability in that offense that, that – Jalen had. I don't see Mac Jones going, throwing for I don't know how many yards did he have in the first half of that national championship. And also, ever since you said you had a bad half, I've been saying you bad, you had a bad half in my in my head. Um, so I'm trying. Like I don't. He had a miserable first half, and we Bama scored. I think zero points. Were they on thirteen nothing? They were shut I, up. Yeah, I was telling Allie we were going to leave. <laughs> we were, we're leaving. The, we're leaving the national title game. I, I just. I don't see Mac Jones in this offense. We, we have a very small sample size for Mac Jones. The cool thing about the sample size we have for Mac Jones is if, if you want to hate on him for being like, well, he, you know, what is he going to do? He's got, he had all that talent around him and, and you know, rugs and, and, uh, and Judy are gone. Like, I've said this before. Every argument you can make against Mac Jones, there's a better argument to be made for him. Like, people Probably that are saying, like, be like, like, oh, you know, the, well, he, he was throwing to Judy and, and rugs last year. It's the only reason he put up. So many yards. Well, it's like, well, all right, well, he has, again, again, two first-rounders on offense. Well, you know, he was only playing, he, he only said four starts, whatever. It's like, he played against Arkansas and Western Carolina. Well, he also finished the season against two teams ranked in the top 20 in, in defense nationally. So it's like, yeah. the sample size we have from him is good. Like, like what he did uh, what he did against Auburn last year is one of the most impressive things I've seen. He he looked better against Auburn. I know he threw two, two pick sixes, but he looked better as a whole, in my opinion, besides those two throws, than Joe Burrow did against Auburn. He's not a better quarterback than Joe Burrow, but if you really look at how that game went for both those teams, what offense looked better? Like what offense, and kept coming back, and kept coming back in a season where you just lost your best player you've had maybe in program history and to injury, and you're sitting here like, wow, now we got to go on the road and play this damn, you know, group that always seems to have some miracle uh, and beat us. Like, I, I just think that Mac, I don't think Mac Jones is losing that starting job. I think I think Mac Jones is going to have a a, a really really good season. Idiot. All right. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing on this list, I put Grantham on here, acknowledging that I, I think he's a good coordinator, and I know that yeah. there are Georgia fans who are listening to this like you're an idiot if you think Todd Grantham has a clue what he's doing. I would argue yeah, that. What it, is that about? I'd argue that two consecutive. Just that one year. 
Yeah, I mean, 2013 was rough. We've done the adjustment more games on how much talent yeah. Georgia had to replace on the defensive side of the ball, and it was ugly for most of that year. But, like, I still come back to the belief that he's he's very good at his job. And, and there's a reason yeah. that Florida felt very felt very good to keep him when there was rumors about the Cincinnati Bengals defensive coordinator opening a couple years ago. And we've seen him lead top 20 defenses in his first two years at Florida. And if you're Dan Mullen, that's exactly what you signed up for. Having said all of that, if Florida loses that Georgia game 38-21, <laughs> man. With a everyone, new OC and nine new stars on offense. Everyone is going to be calling for Grantham's job. Yeah. If that's the thing that holds Florida back, and if it looks like that, and Dan Mullen is seeing it clear as day, look, it's just not working. I've seen three different versions of this, and neither have turned yeah. out in our favor from a defensive standpoint. Uh, I, I think that that would be that would be frustrating, and if you saw him once again struggle to make those adjustments, especially on third down of all downs, then I, I think that that would that would have to be part of the conversation. If especially if you're a Florida program where like you see it's clear as day, if they're in a situation where that's still the one thing holding them back from reaching right. that next level. Yeah, that would be that would be a very very tough decision for Dan Mullen to have to make, I, or maybe it would be an easy one if Georgia had a, a massive offensive day. I think it'd be hilarious if that happened just because it'd be so peak where college football is now. Like, like you have Dan Mullen, like in the, in that scenario, it would be Dan Mullen saying, you know what? It's, I think I found the problem. I think it's Grantham because we can't win this one game against this one opponent. That's been like a thorn in our side. When, and when you really look at it, it's like Dan Mullen, he was great. They were great in 2017 together. Like that defense was fantastic. Like, you know what I mean? At Mississippi State or 20. Yep. Yeah, 2017. 2017. Um, and, and like, if Dan Mullen <laughs> ends up coming out and saying, like, you know what? I figured out the problem. It's not how bad I am at recruiting. It's the fact that Gr- that Grantham can't figure out how to beat Georgia. It would be hilarious. And it's, it's like a totally realistic possibility. You know what I mean? Like, like it's just, it, in, in the world that we live in, Dan Mullen not being able to find a five-star when they're literally in his front yard, like, and backyard, it, it would be... Hilarious. He was like, that's that's the guy. That's the problem. Not me. Whatever. Also, real quick, another guy on this list, Daryl Dickey. Daryl Dickey sounds like the like a person that was like a high school dropout in the 50s but started his own business and became a millionaire. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. For all we know, he did. He's, he's a millionaire now. Yeah. And I'm you know, offensive coordinator. I'm a lot better at, at like backstories, fake backstories to people's names than I am picking football games. So maybe that's what I need to start doing. <laughs> I don't think it's quite as lucrative. I really don't. I think it's a very niche market for that, for sure. We got to catch up with Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus. He went to Notre Dame. He was on The Bachelorette. He is someone that you've probably seen on your Twitter feed at some point if you have ever read any sort of Pro Football Focus draft stuff. More times than not it's been Mike writing that as well so it was really good to be able to to catch up with him and talk about a lot of different things so here is our interview with Mike Renner we're now excited to be joined by a very special guest it is pro football focus analyst Mike Renner Mike before we get to some football stuff I I realize that we have a lot in common actually Um, we're both originally from the state of Illinois we both graduated from college in the state of Indiana in 2012 we both work in football, and most importantly, we both love Bulldogs, though you actually have a Bulldog, and I just aspire to have a Bulldog. 
Riggins is officially the best bulldog name I've ever heard. Tell my wife why I should own a bulldog. Ah, bulldogs are the best. Now, mine may not be the best, but the other ones I've met are the best. Uh, <laughs> they they just they don't they don't do anything. They're just lovers, and uh, mine's right at my feet right now, and that's where he stays most days while I'm working. So, uh, I think I think your wife should come around on the idea of a bulldog for sure. All right, he's got makes... a cat, Mike. <sighs> you know he's not a cat. That guy. wasn't. Yeah, you know, I wasn't raised with him either. I've been pushing. For, I, he'd get along really well with the bulldog. My cat is basically a bulldog. He just he, he loafs. Oh, he doesn't even. do much of anything. But that's a different subject for a different time. One thing that we don't have in common is you were a contestant on Becca's season of The Bachelorette. Marla and I are both big fans of the show, obviously. Um, I, I think I had you in my Bachelorette fantasy team back in the day as well. Um, I, you, you lasted longer. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you lasted longer than people expected because everybody, when they saw your picture initially, they're like, that's the guy with the really long hair. Or if they saw you with the man bun, they saw that as well. And that was a little bit ahead of its time. I think they did you dirty by putting you, the football analyst, around a couple of former NFL guys like Clay and Colton. I thought that was kind of unfair. It like pitted you as the, oh, he's like the guy who just like analyzes the football. They're the ones who actually play it. What was your, your best story that didn't air from being on that show? I'm trying to think of the best story that didn't air. Um, I actually I actually got, was kind of salty because we played a football game, and I had a one-handed catch or a one-handed interception in that game where I was guarding uh, – oh, gosh, I can't remember his name. The guy who was the professional dunker, uh, Chris Stein. I was guarding him like in man coverage, and I was pick, and they didn't show it. So I was, I was actually upset about that. So that was probably my – uh, the best memory though was probably or the thing that was the most fun that didn't get shown was that we would just you would just sit in the hot tub all day and just drink drink alcohol was <laughs> basically all you could do when you were in the house so that was probably the best part that it, uh, they did end up showing. And, I, 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 honestly, like I know that's what creates the drama, but it kind of sounds like a dream. It's like, hey guys, come live in this mansion. We're just gonna pump you full of alcohol like twenty three hours a day. Sounds awesome. Um, my question yeah, I mean, is it wasn't, it wasn't terrible, you, but uh, there was also yeah. nothing else to do. Like, you, you know, you think That's about fair. it, they really you couldn't interact with the outside world, couldn't watch TV, they didn't have like games or anything to do. You just had to, you know, get upset at each other. <laughs> it's like being a juror, but with fighting. I like that. Um, okay, so it, my question is this: like, I'm I'm pretty new to The Bachelor. Um, I've been watching for like three seasons. If you had to give Colton a grade for likability from his season, what would it be, and is 0.0 too high? Uh, yeah, I, I would think it is, but I I just didn't uh, didn't care for the guy. I, I didn't. We were not friends, so uh, I'm not going to talk too badly about him. But he just seemed kind of phony Do to it. me is all I have. <laughs> Uh, so Chris Collinsworth is your majority owner and CEO at Pro Football Focus. I mean, you've been there since 2012. Did, did you have to shoot him an email being like, hey, boss, I'm going to need some time off so I can go on The Bachelorette? Like, how, how does that conversation come about when you're so entrenched in football and then you, like, have to take this atypical break that usually, like, people don't take in this business? How exactly did all of that go down? Yeah, so I would go up and I'd knock on his door and – Kind of just like uh, so I'd already asked like my direct boss, and he was like fine with it. But he's like, you probably should like you probably should ask Chris. And I kind of had to explain what it all entailed, and he's like, 
go for it. And he was like, you got an opportunity, you know, you're still young, do it. And I said, okay, all right. But it was definitely a weird subject to be talking about. <laughs> so hold on, is Collinsworth like, when you go to his, his office, like I just imagine this is like, it's like, yeah, have a seat. And he closed the door and then just, instead of going around the desk, he just slides in right next to you. Like how, <laughs> how did that work? No, he's just, the door's open. He's like behind, he's at his chair already, so. Uh, he doesn't do, I haven't seen him do the slide in person yet. I, I bet it's electric, though. Yeah, it's got real. Need that. That's bucket list kind of stuff right there. Uh, okay, here's here's my next question for you. Um, PFF. I joke around about this a lot. I love, I love PFF. It confuses the hell out of me because you guys have the most in-depth and, like, specific-sounding stats. So this is a personal question. If you, you're, if you were giving yourself a stat that you grade out highest on, what would it be? Like, like mine would be amount of fireball drink without throwing up in a tight tailgating window where my fiance didn't see me. What would yours be? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. What would mine be? Um, if we're staying on like the drinking theme, I, I mean, I can put down, uh, I can put down a lot of Miller lights without feeling sick. Uh, that's been my, drink of choice for now over a decade so i i can mm-hmm. not a lot of people can you know just put down a bunch and i it may be not a short period of time but i i feel like i just that's all i've i don't think i've drank pretty much anything other than that for the last you know five or six years fair enough it's like like grading at like a 92 or a 93 or something <laughs> like that Oh, it's still not going to be that high. Like, but that's the only thing I'm good at in life. <laughs> don't say that, that's Mike. Fair. Come on. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. For for those who don't know, Mike, I, I think you actually are good at, at covering the draft for PFF. You had your top 100 prospects that just came out recently. Kyle Trask came in at number 79 for you, which is you know like round two, three, that that sort of range. And I know PFF in general has been really, really low on him. Explain kind of where you stand on him as a as a prospect, as a player, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's that low considering. I mean, he statistically wasn't that great last year. He was he was fine. I don't think he was anything special by any means in terms of way down the football field. And he had a lot of talent at the receiver position there at Florida. I mean, what they have four guys uh, make NFL rosters this year. Three guys get drafted. Uh, and, you know, they have a tight end who's probably going to be the highest drafted one of all of them coming back. So uh, I think there's a lot to like in terms of, you know, first year as a starter ever, you know, since high school even. So uh, can, with that all in mind, like it was impressive, but I do think we're going to need to see high-end performance from a guy before we're going to say, hey, you're a first-round pick. And I, even though ESC is playing the SES, there's like a lot of reasons that he didn't get there yet. You just we're going to need to see you play elite level football for not just, you know, one game for a whole season. And I don't think we saw that or anything close to that. And our grading system did not say that about him last year. So I think that's the biggest thing. More throws down the football field. Yes, he has a special arm, but just because you have a big arm doesn't mean you're accurate and can make those throws. So I think that's what we're going to need to see from him in 2020. And it's not like saying it won't happen. It's just saying we're going to be more hesitant on guys like that. There's there's a Florida fan right now just screaming into the steering wheel of his Winnebago. You must have not watched the LSU game. <laughs> just and I love it. I love it. Um, okay, so here's my question. And listen again, I want to preface this by saying I really like I really like what you guys do. You guys do a really good job. 
But straight up, dude, how much did Jamie Newman and or his parents pay y'all for, for these grades he was getting going into the season? Oh, no. I mean, like, he graded out really well Wake Forest, and we even said, uh, you know, he needed this year, though. Like, he needed to do it at a, one, against better competition, and two, in a real offense. And he graded out really well and was very accurate with the football, but in a in an offense that admittedly would not be considered anywhere close to NFL concepts that he was throwing to. And, uh, you know, a ton of RPOs, ton of just like one read go ball sort of things like old school Baylor sort of concepts, right. uh, to where like the arm, the accuracy, the legs were there. But, uh, if he wasn't, you know, and that's why I said this, this year was going to be so big for him. Cause you're going in an NFL offense, you're NFL offense coordinator, Todd Monk, and you're going against, real competition week in and week out. When he played against Clemson last year without Dave Sherratt and looked like he couldn't complete a pass. So I, I do think uh, that that's why we're still high on him is because, you know, the accuracy aspect, the arm strength aspect, the legs aspect, like those things were there and graded well, but still, like, we were going to be high on him, but, like, high on him considering that we thought we'd see him this year and we thought he'd play well in that offense, but now we're not going to see him this year. And so I don't think I'd – you know, touch him before in the first round, second round. Uh, he'd be borderline even a day two guy at this point. Wow. That's something that you've talked about as well, is having that familiarity of Todd Munkin's offense. And I think those those who ne- haven't necessarily followed Georgia that closely but are going to have to maybe, you know, their, their team is matching up against them. They're wondering, why is this going to be different with this Georgia offense? Todd Munkin is coming in from the NFL, and, you know, you hear that he has the air raid principles. He's obviously not Mike Leach. He's not going to throw the ball 50 times a game or do anything mm-hmm. like that. But just why is this offense different, and what should we expect to see from Todd Munkin at Georgia? It's, it's tough because, you know, I, I expected I expect more of what we saw in Tampa Bay, where it was definitely a downfield passing offense. I, I expected that in Cleveland, and then it looked far more like what Freddie Kitchens was running or did run in the second half of 2019. <laughs> and so I... I and that was not good. You know, you know, I, I didn't want Freddie Kitchens. I wanted what Todd Munkin ran. Cause I thought what they did in Tampa Bay back what was that 2018 then uh, was very sound. And I don't think it was his fault that, you know, he got fired from there. So I do think you're going to see a, a downfield offense, a lot of, you know, attacking the seams, a lot of you know, deeper, you know, two or three man concepts that it's going to look more pro style and you'll get some under center stuff. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a nice change for them. And, and, and as you said, also, like, uh, there will be area principles as well, which I, I think that was kind of the biggest thing holding Georgia back, was they would do, just do not, I don't really know, they just wouldn't create as much space as a lot of other offenses mm-hmm. around college football are creating for their playmakers. Uh, it, it was just a lot of tight uh, formations and stuff like that. So I think you're going to see a, a lot more space created in this Todd Monken offense. So... Okay, give us a guy, and I know you 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 went to Notre Dame and, and you're based out of Cincinnati, but give us a guy out of the SEC that y'all might be really high on that not enough people are talking about. Not enough people are talking about. That's a good mm, – I think – I guess, I mean, I, I don't know exactly who everyone's talking about at the moment, but I will say that uh, Alabama – they have a few guys along the line of scrimmage again that are just ridiculously good. Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle, and I really like Alex Leatherwood, the offensive tackle. Is probably the guy I probably am the highest on that 
maybe not a lot of a ton of other people are high on, but I think he's a first round tackle and going to be your you know third first round tackle from Alabama in three years now. And I liked him almost better in terms of pass protection than Jedrick Wills. And I know you get wide income out. He's probably not the athlete that Wills is, but I just think he's special in that regard and how he did against Caleb on chase on some of the better edge rushes in the SEC last year in his first year of playing. Great answer. Yeah. Marler's Marler's a big Bama fan. We we've managed to get this far too, without talking about 2012. Christian Barmore's going to be a stud, man. (laughs) This is true. This is true. Oh yeah. So Mike here, you know, being based out of Cincinnati, Joe Burrow now being in your backyard. um, Two questions here. First off, how high is Joe Burrow's NFL ceiling? And second, if you had to bet on someone in college, doesn't have to just be in the SEC, but having a, a Burrow-like blow-up this year, who would that guy be? Oof, that's a good question. So I, I, Burrow's ceiling, I, I mean, I think he can be he can be in the Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees tier of quarterbacks. I think he'd be that good. Those guys never had rocket arms. Those guys never had you know elite-level arm strength yet could play the position at an elite level and I think you've seen that already with how much it's translated in terms of how we can just go in empty sets at the NFL level with no semblance of pass protection but you can get the ball out of his hand quick enough you can make that quick decision and get it to where it needs to go accurately enough to where right out the gate he doesn't he looks like he belongs in the NFL and now he's never going to he's not going to look like you looked at LSU as a rookie year one with that, that offensive line and you know the talent they have around him and Cincinnati but I do think if he continues to develop you I think he can be a top 3 top 5 quarterback in the NFL perennially so I, I really don't think the arm strength issues are yes they're going to hold back from making certain throws but I, I think he can still you know be as good a quarterback as exists in the NFL with just how accurate it is I think he's that accurate like he just and has been kind of out the gate he's been incredibly accurate with the football so I think that translates uh, to the NFL well and I've gotten that question about which is this year's you know Joe Burrow blow up who's the most likely uh, like I will say Kyle Trask uh, is the guy I've, I've said about that if anyone really takes a big step because of like what I said in terms of last year was his first year of starter ever you know good didn't even start in high school he's behind Drew King uh you know, ha- is accurate has the arm strength has a lot of the tools you like about the position and I get they lost his entire wide receiver core but uh, I think he's one answer and then the other guy would be uh Jared Daggy from West Virginia transferred mm-hmm. from was it Eastern Kentucky or Western Kentucky one of those two uh has made doesn't have a monster arm kind of like Burrow, but I think he's very accurate. And some some of the other guys here at PFF really like him. Uh, and so uh, I think he's played all right out the gate, or played fairly well out the gate, but really hasn't been tested yet. So that's those are the two I'd say. Draft prospect that you've been most wrong about, and oh, draft yes. prospect that you've been most right about. In just ever, are we talking about? I, I, Ever the like the ones that you the when I when I said that like the first ones that pop in your head like man I whiffed on that guy and then the other one who was like that was my ride or die I had them higher my mocks or I'm on big board than anyone else and they're good in the NFL. By the one I was most right about ever was Chris Jones, the Mississippi State DT. I was now Chiefs DT. I, I said he was a top five player in that class. Was that 2016? Ended wow. up in the second round, and yeah, and he's turned out all right it seems so i, I like <laughs> that call I'll, I'll hang my hat on player i was most wrong about probably go back to paul dawson uh tcu linebacker 
and now he had some off-field and some personality stuff that also played a factor in that. But I just thought the way that guy saw the game and the way he played it was electric, his tape at TCU, was definitely not athletic and did not uh, work the hardest to get more athletic, apparently. But he, I mean, he, he didn't even, like, see the field when he got to the pros. That was a, that was a bad call on my part. Didn't work hard to become athletic. I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna That's like put me. that. I'm stealing that. I'm stealing that. <laughs> well, I mean, like um, you, know, you can tell when guys like just aren't even in shape. You know, at linebacker, they're not even cut up. He's like 235 pounds, and not even like no muscle definition. That's fair. That's fair. One more I question feel so before so attacked we... right now. <laughs> One more question before we've got a two minute drill to get you out on. I, I saw that you had UCF in your playoff predictions. Why are you rooting for the world to burn? <laughs> I just want I just want them to stop complaining, UCF fans. <laughs> just get their opportunity, and they they, they can't uh, they can't fill up my mentions anymore. No, I I, I just think it'd be fun. I, I think something like that, and this of all years would be the year that a non you know when you don't have Pac-12, when you know if anyone the Big Ten loses a game, I think they're kind of out of it with only an eight game schedule. Uh, I, I do think that this would be the year to get a group of five school in there. And, and I think if one goes undefeated, they, sh- they deserve, you know, kind of a chance this season. I, I've just, you know, I've had a lot of fans from different teams in my mention over the years of doing this job, but I've never seen more backwards hats, tank wearing bros in my mention than, than like when I crap on fast and furious or UCF. And I rarely crap on the fast, fast and furious. I'll just say it. Um, okay. Let's get it's you like out of here. It's like a Venn diagram. Fun... That's just a circle. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, um, that's good. Um, Mike, this has been a lot of fun, man. Let's get you out of here on a game called Two Minute Drill. Which, uh, if you guys are familiar, I know you guys talk a little bit of football at Pro Football Focus. So, uh, basically, we're gonna rapid fire questions. We are going to. We probably. I think we have between eight and ten, um, and you just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, are you ready? And we'll grade you out yep, at the end. Let's do it. Okay. okay. All right. Put two minutes on the clock, Connor. This is going to be fun because I just realized I only have eight questions. I'm about to make up two on the fly. First question. More out of breath. Your bulldog sitting on the couch or Darren Ravel running the 40? My bulldog sitting on the couch. He's constantly out of breath unless he's asleep. Oh, we would have accepted the other answer as well because any kind of Darren Ravel slander is good slander. Uh, second question. Greatest movie. You live in Cincinnati. Greatest movie ever based out of Cincinnati. It's a very niche question. Oh man, I I I couldn't even name a movie based out of Cincinnati. Okay, the answer <laughs> was bad. Airborne. It was a movie about rollerblading from 1993. I'm showing my age here. It's a fantastic oh, movie. You guys should watch it today. Um, yeah, doubles back. So Come on, guys, get your blank together. Uh, third question: UCF would be the blank best team in the SEC. Oof. Sixth. Wow. Did you say sixth or fifth? Sixth. Okay. So a follow-up question. I got to know who they're who they're behind. Oh, that was just like pure reactionary. Um, <laughs> LSU, <laughs> Alabama, um, Auburn, Florida. Uh, gosh. Say Kentucky. Georgia. I'm guessing Georgia. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair yeah. enough. Um, yeah. Okay. Fifth. Uh, next question here. What is the weirdest request you got from a bachelor producer? 
Oof. Um, they, I mean, they said that <laughs> they said that they wanted me that Becca wanted me to t- tell her that I loved her. <laughs> like, what? No. I think they were telling they were telling that to a lot of people. I think I don't know for sure, but they they uh, they were trying to stir pots there for sure. Wow. So. That's like stuff that happens in middle school. Like, dude, Del Becca, you love her. She wants to hear it, I promise. It's like, but you guys are grown-ups. This is the real world. You can't say crap like that. Um, okay, follow-up question, speaking of middle school. Favorite Disney princess? Ooh, I'd probably go Princess Jasmine. See, Princess More Jasmine, end. yeah, that's a good pick. I just saw Pocahontas for the first time, and I, I've like had to restructure my rankings. I don't care how that sounds, because like, I'm a grown-up. Mm. Um Okay, next question. Could Rudy have played in the SEC? No. No chance. Thank you. Very good answer. Very good answer. Bucket list concert you want to go to? Ooh. I I, just, I, I would like to go to Red Rocks in Denver. I, I'd maybe like Zach mm. Brown at Red Rocks in Denver would be fun. Okay, good answer. That's a really good answer. Um, okay, final question. Final question. Who wins the SEC this season? It's kind of a lame final question. It's going to be Bama. They're, they, I have Good a answer. take that they tie Miami this year for first-rounders. I think they might. Whoa. Ooh, they, are, they are loaded. Okay, hold on. Again, follow-up question I'm, then. What, who are the first-rounders from this team then? This is fantastic. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, Leatherwood, Barmore, um, the Sertain and Moses. Sertan. Oh, I like Moses. that. Yeah. Dang. Okay. Yeah, it's, well, it's, you know what? That right that really just gave you a big bump there. Well, let's, we got to add these up real quick in our um, SDS uh, grading system here. It's a very intricate grading system. Mike, that is 69.69 points, and that's on a scale of 69.7 points. So that's a pretty damn good grade. Damn. How, how, do, I, what, how do I not get to the full... Because you haven't seen Airborne, bro. I mean, go watch that today. Oh, it's got yeah. Seth Green. It's got a lot of good. Got a lot of good acting. And I think Jack Black's in it. They're jumping over cars and. <laughs> oh, can't say that. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Not that good. It's it's like rollerblading. It's like peak early yeah. '90s rollerblading, and it's like the most stereotypical. I think like Seth Green is actually in that movie. about rollerblading. Bro. The, it's like the this dude it's moves clear. from California to Cincinnati, and he's like, bro, I'm just like a laid-back surfer, and he's like, i got to learn how to rollerblade now, and he does. And it's like, it's in, it's inspiring. Uh, the cinematography is great. It's terrible, but you should, I mean, like, seven-year-old Chris really liked it. I'll say it. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll make, I'll, I'll watch and uh, say, you know, point out all the places I've been and be like, oh, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah, do that. There you go. That's smart. That's smart. Mike, we appreciate you joining us. Um, We're going to have to catch up when we have actual, like, in-season grades to be able to talk about. And you could Mm kind of point out all the guys that we're sleeping on that maybe don't have interceptions, but they're, like, the highest-graded corner in the SEC because of their coverage. All that stuff we're going to have to catch up middle of the season to talk about real, actual football. But appreciate you coming on. I'm sure we'll talk soon, man. For sure, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Of course, man. Take care. Let's close out with something that we haven't done in a little bit. It's been a been a hot minute since we've done some fourth and wrong. So kind of thought, you know what? It's game week, and we set the parameter. One, just 
one parameter, one parameter, that's it. Anything football related except game predictions because we're going to be doing game predictions later this week yeah. so we're going to answer those questions anyways figured we would shed some light on some other football issues that maybe we haven't tackled so we have a lot of questions we have yeah. 35 comments two hours after you post this yeah that's that's a lot of stuff where would you like to start uh let's start with op one of my favorite people on here orlando prescott he says best game day breakfast spread for a noon kick um i'll start with this one obviously there's gonna be some texas pete involved but like this is breakfast is people always say it's the most important meal of the day. And now that I'm 34 and old, like that is that is more true than ever. Like like you can't start a day by like like getting a bunch of donuts in your system and, and think you're just gonna you know finish out the day buzzing like a bee. Can't do it. You gotta have some eggs. You gotta have some protein. You gotta get like don't. Yeah. Also, let's not put our calories in liquids, guys, unless it's alcohol. You don't need to start. Don't start your day with orange juice. If you're starting your day with orange juice, this is in 1985. Okay, you're not sitting here reading the Wall Street Journal and having orange juice and like two slices of bacon for for breakfast. That's stupid. You need eggs. You definitely need grits the day of. And I, I'm gonna say a biscuit. I was going to say a little biscuit sandwich. We do this every every once in a while. It's good. Homemade biscuits with, we'll do a fried egg on mm. top of some bacon and then maybe some, like some, uh, some home fries. Oh, some, I like that. The smaller, like bite size home fried potato, whatever you want right. to call them, cut up. That, that is a go-to. Maybe a little avocado as well and some Texas Pete on that mm. biscuit sandwich. You can do all that stuff homemade. And it is so good. In fact, just talking about it, we need to do that yeah. this weekend. Man, it's been we I think we, we did that like two months ago and it like for three days that was all I ate and it was so, that's so the, good. That's the best. Having like leftover breakfast food that can sit around for the rest mm. of the day is, is, is also incredible. Um, I wanna ask you your opinion on this because I told I told him the answer was liquor and he said what's in the cup. If you're starting your day with booze, I know you're not really like prone to doing this. <laughs> if you're starting yeah, your day with time. booze, yeah, like I, I used to be like in my 20s, especially, especially if there was a golf game involved. Like Red Bull Vodka to start the day was, was a, a go to. And it just I, now that I think about that, I'm like, good God, Chris, you cannot be doing that to your body. No. Um, if, you're, if you're starting drinking early, yeah, you got to start with mimosas, right? Like we're, we're, we know that everyone knows that we are yeah. not, a, we are not a, a Bloody Mary podcast. Ugh, gross. I, don't, I hate that podcast. I want a salad, but it's got to be liquid form. Gross. Get out of here. I need to put 50 things on top of my drink to distract myself <laughs> yeah. from the fact that I'm drinking tomato juice like That's a awful. <laughs> weirdo. Look, there's a shrimp. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. All right, you're up. All right. That was a good question. Thank you, Orlando, for that. Um, let's see. If the stars hadn't aligned to save the 2020 season, what would y'all be doing right now? Ask Cameron Camp. Good question. Uh, <laughs> I've got I mean, so I've got an answer, but I can't release too much information on the answer. What? You had I a backup be, plan? Yeah, if we didn't have if we didn't have a season, I had a backup plan. I don't think I'd even be, have a job. <laughs> I'd be I'd be writing a book. Oh right yeah. Now. Um, hoping to still be able to do that, like with with actual yeah. football. But that was going to be my hey, if we can't make this happen. Here's here's what we're gonna do. If I had to like dial back on some you know some of the the plan content and some of the writing right. that I do on that side, I would have definitely like more than I did 
get into starting my first book. And it is related to football. I promise. It's not just yeah. like a novel. I'm not writing. I so I would, and we're kind of doing this now. I don't want to like put this out there and jinx it or anything. But if we didn't have football, we would be full on baby mode, trying to start a family, and and or we would we would have already got another dog. So Casey has somebody to play with. It's like that. That's are you, all, that's are you it. going for? You're going for both of those things soon. Yeah, and which we're this is like we've been, we've talked about this a thousand times. We're trying to figure it out the best option because like, Queso is such a baby when it comes to like not getting attention because like Corgis constantly are just I mean they're adorable but they like and he also like we there's these dogs at the street and he he doesn't care about small dogs at all so he wants to get we're just gonna get into some adult problems here he, like he the dogs at the street are all like it's like a lab an English lab and something else like I think like a retriever mix so he loves playing with them and loves big dogs so we're like. It, like whenever we go around, he sees like either another corgi, like we go to corgi meetups. He doesn't give a shit about those dogs. Like just doesn't care at all. So it's like <laughs> it's like so we want to get another corgi and name it Chips because I mean that we would just take over Instagram as the most adorable couple in the world. But also we're like man, like if we get another dog, he's gonna want a bigger dog to play with. Because if we have a kid and we can't pay any attention to him, he's gonna like go into shutdown mode. You know, like it's just so I, I don't know. So we've been trying to figure out like the right order of stuff to do, but we don't know. Dang, both of those things at once is a lot. Yeah, it is. Adding adding a dog and a kid is I, I got to imagine in terms of like the things that consume all of your time, yep. those two things are in the, at the top of the list. At the top of the mm-hmm. list, like that's if you could if, if you made a list of those things, getting a house is the only other thing that's in the top three. Yeah, like those. That's the three right there. That's yeah. that's it. All right, um, Andrew DiGiacomo. Why do we always mess this up? Did you go? Mess this up. Did you go? Chef's kiss. He wants to know what QB will surprise the SEC this year, and why is it Miles Brennan? <laughs> I, I love Andrew so much. He's great in this group. But my God, this the LSU take LSU and Florida fans in this group. I, I love you guys so much, but I've never seen people stand harder for Kyle Tra- for these quarterbacks, Kyle Trask. And, and Miles Brennan. Somebody got mad yesterday that, that we didn't say that Kyle Trask was going to lead the SEC in passing over a, a Mike Leach quarterback. Think about that. Oh, yeah. That's just, oh, come on. You can't do that. You can't do no. that. Like, it, anyway, but yeah. If you throw the ball 50 times a game, come on. Yeah. Let's go ahead. Let's, let's think about this for a second because surprise means like you can't have them in, in your top five. Yeah. To start the year. I'll say this. Matt Corral, if he gets to keep the job at Ole Miss in Lane Kiffin's offense, given what they return on the offensive side of the ball, is very intriguing because we have seen Lane elevate a quarterback. We have seen him do that in the past. And as much as I love John Rice Plumlee and just think he has some unteachable things, Mm -hmm. I do think that if Matt Corral is the starting quarterback and they're not doing some sort of a a split, which – I don't necessarily think they're going to do that. I, I tend to think that Lane is has kind of stayed away from that in the past. He wants to be able to get his quarterback in rhythm. But Matt Corral is one of those guys that like nobody's really talking about in terms of like what he's going to be in the SEC. It's just yeah. can he can he stave off John Rice Plumley? But he's one of those guys that like by the end of the year, if we looked up and we're like, oh, he was third in the SEC in scrimmage yards or something like that. I'd be like, "Yep, okay, we probably should have seen right. that coming with with what they have coming back on that side of the ball." Um, 
I'm going to give you one that I already hate to say. Well, that's I good. Already, I already hate it. <laughs> Felipe Franks. Oh, boy. The, the receiving talent they have at Arkansas, like the young receiving talent they have at Arkansas, um, is it's really good. So I, I think him. And the other one I'll say is, like, we talk about um, we talk about Terry Wilson a lot. I, I think him and, and Kellen Mond, I think, are, are two guys that's going to be like a told you so at the end of the year. I like that. I like yeah. that. Well, I almost said Terry Wilson, but then I was like, I just said him before. That probably wouldn't be the best place to yeah. go back to. All right. Good question. Does it my you want to do one more? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, hold on. I'm trying to get out of this. Okay. Um, thinking along the lines of Battle of Bristol. Let's do two more. Thinking along the lines of cool. Battle of Bristol, what other non-traditional venues would you like to see for a college football game? Hmm. So non-traditional. Like a NASCAR game? NASCAR yeah, I because NASCAR is pretty much the only place that hasn't really gone down that road as much. The default answer for me would be Daytona because it's 50, it's fifty minutes from where I live, and that'd be a really easy drive, and it'd be kind of a cool. I I seen a concert there, yeah. um, and it'd be it'd be a cool venue to see some of that. The tailgating would be fantastic. We know that. Um, I don't really like the football game. The football games at a baseball stadium. I don't like that. No, it sucks. It's not built for it. It's it's just it's too not. far away. No, yeah, it, I don't like and, that. But but I'll say with the lone exception being our group of five team Georgia State who plays at Old Turner Field. But they have rebuilt that to be yeah, able they, to they have built, college football. That's the difference. I remember seeing an Atlanta Legends game there, and I was like blown away because like I dude I I was in that stadium for the very first event, which was the Olympics opening ceremony. That is a sick brag. But like it like I remember sitting in the stands there, and I was like. What is happening here? Like, like, are we? Are these just like roll away bleachers or something? Like, what yeah, are, and I like, I remember like looking at it and I was like, this is all concrete. What the hell is happening? Like, they just flat out built this over like center field. Like, I don't get it. Um, I'll tell you what I would like to see, just from like a nostalgia standpoint, is, um, and I usually don't like stuff like this, uh, like like the, the the Pro Football Hall of Fame game in Canton when they play at the small stadium. Right. I would love to see a. Um, a college game early in the season, early in the year, played at a uh, a high school venue, like like a good high school, like maybe like Valdosta, like in Georgia, something like that. Yeah. Um, so and that that's also like on the line. So if, if you had like, you know, like an FCS, not an FCS team, but if you had like um, a group of five team versus like a, a big SC team, I think it'd be fun to see something like that to start the year. Um, if it could have some sort of like significance, like like, and I don't mean. I mean, maybe even like Hoover is a place that you could do it in, like because they they have they they used to play at the Hoover Met. I don't even know if they have their own stadium now, but um, but like a, a good high school stadium that would be able to like hold it. You know what I mean? You would do it for recruiting purposes too. Yeah, you would have you would have it somewhere. You'd have it somewhere in Florida or something mm-hmm. like that, or Texas. Or, it'd be, it would be kind of cool to see the SEC branch out like that, and if. Like A and M played some group of five team at a big Texas high school or something like that. Yeah. Like even something like that would spice up a, a cupcake week. I realize that's not Battle at Bristol. That's a little bit of a of a different thing. But I, I feel like we're we're sort of getting to the point where I don't really know how many more venues you can really yeah. expand to. Um, we'll we'll see. But good question. I like that. Um. Okay. You like we do a couple one. more? Well, yeah. Sure. Why not? Why not? We got the time. We got the time. If Vanderbilt, this is from Jeff Johnson. 
If Vanderbilt was in the Big Ten, would they win more or less than the SEC? That is a than good question. In the SEC? What about the ACC? Have to find new and creative ways to make Vandy a relevant topic on the pod. Jeff, we have a Vandy listener. I love it. I love it. Okay, that changes things. Yeah. Um, we take back every negative thing we've ever said about Vandy. I love Vandy. I love the school. I love everything about going to Nashville and all that stuff. I, I just <sighs> like let's we gotta call stuff for what it is. I'm gonna say that's all. I'm gonna say this. I think there's a power five team that Vandy can beat, but it's not in the Big Ten and it's not in the ACC. In you know the who it is. There's one power five team that I think Vandy could beat. This year. This year specifically. It's Kansas. Oh yeah. It's less. It's uh, less. They beat, they beat Rutgers. I Rutgers sucks. I mean, it's in Vandy, New Jersey, this, Connor. New Jersey actually has really good high school football. That's that's like an it's, underrated high school football spot. That's fair. Surprising. New Jersey as a state is is just disgusting. Like they. Oof. I won't disagree with that. But Vandy, I don't think like I think it's it's got to be specific to this year. Vandy in general, if Vandy like obviously I think if Vandy was in the, the Big Ten West or something like that, or if they were in the Coastal, yeah, I, I think they'd have a chance to win yeah. a couple more games here or there. I think this is going to be really rough. For Vandy, they just yeah. have opt-outs left and right. And that's after a year in which they've they fired both coordinators. This is going to be really, really rough for Vandy. Obviously, like, we know that. But this year particularly, I don't know what that non-conference slate would have looked like. I, I yeah. think it would have been just awful. Awful. That's fair. Um, I don't even want to give this any... This Is, is a receiving team allowed to touch the ball before it reaches 10 yards on an onside kick. I hate I hate everything about that question. Yesterday, I'm like a casual Falcons fan. Like I'm not like my, the first thought I had when that happened yesterday was if this was Alabama, I would like you would like I would have been on the phone with my therapist. You would have had to call like like every everyone in my support group would have been on notice. Like it would have been a night. I cannot Effing believe that the Falcons lost that game. I, I don't even know what else to say. I'm, I, like that's not even a question, really. I'm just, I'm just upset. I don't even, I don't even know where to go from there. Um, that was Nick Calby, okay. by the way, who asked that yeah, question. I didn't want to give him the credit, but um, let's see here. Are Uncle Chris's predictions going to get any better since Miami Navy UCF ruined your betting lines? I didn't bet on Navy at all, um, and I went nine and three in my picks. And Ray, I'm sorry about your loss. Uh, let's see. That was here. very defensive of you. Very defensive. Um, he said, "I got disappointed and quit looking after Oklahoma State and Louisville happened. One of those games was at noon. One was at seven thirty. So obviously, we didn't pay attention to three o'clock games. It's fine. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here's here's my favorite one. This is a this is a good one here. Higher. Um, your your team goes six and four in twenty twenty. Higher fire keep. Must champ Malzon Fisher." There's also a, you can't F, fire Jimbo. Yeah, you can't. You, there's also an F Mary kill. Don't use logic, Connor. Like, stop oh, using okay. logic and money. I'm not using logic. Money is not an option. Twenty twenty. These places have billions of dollars. There's also, or we could do F Mary kill. Mike Leach, Will Muschamp, Lane Kiffin. That would be fun. We could do that one. Gosh, I'm gonna stay so far away from that. You do I'll, that. I'll, one. I'll answer that one on my own. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, higher. No, I'm the higher fire one. Um. I'm gonna hire Lane. Mm-mm. No, it's hire, fire, keep. After the six and four, it's a separate question. Must champ Malzon Fisher. Must champ Malzon. 
So you should have stayed away from this one because you're only going to use like analytics and numbers and dumb stuff. Science. I'm going to... If Muschamp goes 6-4, and four, I'll, hire, I'll hire Muschamp, obviously, because that'd be like rising above expectations. Yeah. And that would mean that Muschamp has figured out how to be a head coach in the SEC and that the yeah. last decade was just a mirage. Um, and then I would fire Jimbo. If he goes 6-4. and four. Mm. They play Florida, Bama. I wouldn't fire anybody for going six and four. Okay. Logic right. has You're to so win bad out. at this game. <laughs> I was the kid who didn't have an imagination enough. Yeah, I really wasn't. So I was terrible at that. I'm like, no, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. You can't just jump from jungle to jungle and tell yourself that that you're Tarzan. You just can't do that, kid. You're going from block to block, and you're making a mess you, in this playroom. Are you referencing jungle to jungle the movie? No, I, I was okay. actually referencing Tarzan, but, you know. Have you, have you seen the Jungle of Jungle is the same thing? It's like Tarzan with daddy issues because like the kid just finds out he had a dad. He's like living in like South America or some shit, some stuff. Yeah. Um, I think we can cuss for fourth and wrong. It's fine. All right, you know what? I'll do. <laughs> I'll do. If, if your team goes six and four, uh, yeah, you definitely keep, uh, hire Muschamp. Um, you keep. You keep, Jimbo. I'm sorry. You keep Malzahn. You and Firefisher. I think that's fair. Oh, um, so you had the same answer that I did, and you gave me crap for that. Yeah, I did. Whatever, it's fine. Um, okay, here's here's my let's F Mary Kill, Muschamp, Kiffin, and and uh, and Lee Leech. I'm killing Leech, flat out. Um, I'd marry Muschamp because he has that lake house, and I would F Kiffin, even like, but safely because he's a dirty person. There you go. Is that, is that the answer? <laughs> That'll be it for today, guys. <laughs> That'll be it for today. It is game week. We're going to have so much great stuff coming later in the week. That pod is going to be dropping on Thursday. We're going to get you ready for week one in the SEC. It feels so good to be able to actually yeah. talk about games and matchups and all of that. We're going to have over-unders. We're going to have picks. Uncle Chris is going to help everybody win some money. Yeah, you know what? You I don't, don't say that, Connor, because I don't know if I will. I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to help people right now. Okay? I, I had a great weekend. Petty. I'll, I'll just I'll be petty right now. We'll see how I feel on Thursday. We'll see how philanthropists I'll feel on Thursday. Big word on the That's that's the word. All right, Marler, what do we need to remember? It just means more much. Let me, I've, I've forgotten this. We haven't closed this. You say it. You tell me, bro. Talk soon.